This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This was a fun episode because somewhere buried in this episode, you will hear a comparison between myself and Bill Gates. It is certainly in a humorous context, but it made for a fun episode and a very lively conversation with a guest that I enjoyed a lot. We focus this week on the topic of compliance. Almost all industries have some kind of regulatory compliance or some kind of rules that they have to comply to. And many times AI investments are placed on supporting compliance. Big enterprises think about defense. They think about protecting what they've got and staying compliant is a big, big part of that. And when it comes to getting an up-close and personal perspective on compliance, we wanted to get somebody from a global financial institution and UBS is just one, one such institution. UBS is a something like a $35 billion a year global financial services organization based in Zurich and in Basel, Switzerland. Our guest this week is Kai Shrimp. He is the global head of transaction monitoring for UBS. He is based in New York, New York. So needless to say, an up-close and personal perspective on compliance is something that Kai is rather close to, given his position and his lengthy history in banking. And we unpack this episode across three little chapters, the first of which is a big picture perspective on the state of compliance in banking and financial services today and where AI might fit in. Kai does a great job of describing some of the legacy systems and some of the current workflows that are really rife for AI opportunity. He talks about where data could be leveled up, where specific workflows might need to change, and why these are pain points for banks today. So you definitely get the business impact, business background side of things to start off. After that, Kai starts to get into use cases. This is where he begins describing some of the areas where he's seeing data wake up in terms of its value for keeping companies compliant and in line with regulatory standards. And lastly, we get a little bit of Kai's perspective on what business leaders should know before adopting artificial intelligence in a financial services organization. So some background, some strong use cases and some adoption advice from somebody very up close and personal to this very important part of the banking world. Again, for all of you who are tuned in and have something to do with compliance in your job, I hope that this will be a more than valuable episode as well. This episode is brought to you by Smarsh. We have a mandate with Smarsh to bring on global experts in compliance to get varied perspectives on where AI and data are adding value. And Smarsh has been kind enough to sponsor this series and to help us find and bring on Kai in this particular case. So without further ado, let's fly right into this fun episode with Kai Shrimp here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Kai, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Glad to be able to chat with you today. And we're unpacking some AI insights in a world that you're awfully up close and personal with, Kai. The, the, the big tee up question, I'm going to let you steer us where you'd like to go, is around where data is sort of waking up and adding value in the compliance domain and where AI kind of fits into that mix as well. You've been in this space for a while, obviously working with rather large organizations. How do you kind of explain the trends and use cases you're seeing in that world? Good question. So I think data has been a redheaded stepchild to some degree in in many of the large organizations over the last 20 years and and with the advent of you know the chief data officers you know becoming board members in in the large and large top tier banks and the advent of chief data office being implemented across all of the banks it has become clearer and clearer that that was a needed change a very clearly needed change all of the large institutions specifically in the compliance space 
overall compliance, not just financial crime compliance where I work. There is a disconnect between this is the data we need to execute business, which is you know a set of data, and then this is the this is the set of data we need to check on this business through our compliance function, be that money laundering, insider trading, and any of those, right? And with the advent of the chief data offices being built out, large large organizations within, you know, generally the technology world or, or sometimes independent, that clearly showed a the need, right, the vacuum that was there, right, where data was handled as a side product of technology or a side product of, of the business function or a side product of the compliance function. It was clearly needed that we have a dedicated function within all of our banks to deal with data, to deal with with data management, data quality management, data lineage all of the all of the things that have recently come out right now if i look at how does that how does it help a compliance function what, what i always say and what i still think you know after 25 years in this business we haven't really made edgemas as much progress on as i would have liked to or as probably the entire industry would have liked to big banks have a lot of data right we are extremely data rich we have a lot of information but we are very intelligence poor in many of our areas. And that is stemming from, you know, data quality problems. You know, you have very old mainframe type systems that are, you know, churning out transactions or churning out specific business processes that have never made the, the transformative leap that other, other areas of technology have, have made, right? So you have nowadays you're coming into processing power that we couldn't even dream of 25 years ago, right? You have database speeds that we couldn't even dream of 25 years ago, right? Trans you know, churning through billions of transactions through a Python code within within seconds, right? We couldn't even think of that. When I started my, my job, you know, ten thousand records within an hour was you know was incredibly fast. So now we're we're coming to the point where these older systems, right, these older legacy systems that are that are out there in those banks and have never been changed because they work fine, simply cannot keep up with the modern data needs that a compliance function and specifically an AI function, be it underneath compliance or an in, as an independent function needs. Huh, okay. And there's so much to unpack here. So a, a couple writer downers, but one of them, this big crescendo point at the end is that despite us being data rich, despite the CDO rising to a greater de degree of predominance and really the industry understanding that that's necessary, we're, we're low on intelligence. And a lot of what we need for intelligence around compliance, because that's the focus of our interview today, isn't really going to be supported by these older systems. Is that, is that a correct distillation of some of what you said there? Yeah, I think that's fair. That's, that's where I was going with this, yeah. I'd love your thoughts here, Kai, on what it's going to take for us to get there. So we are going to talk a little bit about use cases today in terms of where data is waking up in compliance and what kind of workflows that influences. We're, we're going to get there in a moment, but we're talking about the big crux of the issue. And I'm sure everybody tuned in. I mean, we've had folks from C-level folks from Citibank and all kinds of folks working deep in, in AI and in financial services. They're probably listening to you and nodding their head right now, Kai, because they've seen a lot of what you've seen. How do you think we're going to level up. I mean, it doesn't really feel like these legacy systems written in Fortran are going to become the backbone of the data-based bank. What is going to have to happen culturally, technically, and otherwise in order to actually support compliance with the intelligence that you are going to need? I think technically most of the banks, or at least you know, when, when I speak to my colleagues in the industry, pretty much everybody I speak to is making the leap forward into whatever modern technology is the right one for, for each individual 
institution to to create you know what everybody in the industry calls the data lake right the centralized data lake where we have all of our data and we can use you know, we can extract that data and leverage it use case by use case i think the technology is out there i think there are you know there are a multitude of really really great solutions out there that give you data management capabilities that even five years ago we couldn't dream of right we couldn't dream of in in in, in the larger corporations taking all of our trades all of our transactions all of our customers into a single data lake and being able to churn through them in 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 a rapid pace so i, I think the technology is there now culturally and this is an industry-wide challenge uh, not everybody in every organization is ready for that transformative change for that paradigm change right it is people are being very protective of their data right the banks by themselves are very protective of their data where we always if you listen to many of the many of the folks out of the wolfsburg group or industry forum if you listen to acams right one of the things compliance officers have always wide for is more open data sharing in between institutions right which is which obviously you know falls under regulatory regulatory and legislative scrutiny but also internally right why would yes. I, why would we share data why would we share data with a competitor but not only that i mean that is obviously a big hurdle and there's a couple certainly, of um, a couple of areas a couple of countries specifically holland netherlands who are at the forefront of of you know getting all of their big banks to share data in a central you know housed by the government type of database where then you can get that information of you know customers transaction that you within your bank don't have right so it's it's getting there but even internally right even internally banks have grown over the last yeah even 50 years right ever since we have the BSAAML act in you know through they have mergers and acquisitions there are different business line you have an investment bank uh, wealth management you have retail asset management and these areas aren't always as easily integratable at the technical area right if you may have a great data lake coming out of business area one but have massive challenges of business area two but also then from the cultural paradigm change of we as compliance need access to data that in many cases may be considered sensitive right yeah, we're, not, we're not looking yeah. at hr data salary data but we're, we're a lot of times where we're having lengthy discussions on where you you can't have access to this data this is you know client information and usually we get there right because we're required to get uh, yes, to, to yes. have it right in order to monitor a client for you know money laundering risk you obviously need to have all of the information that you can possibly get but it's it's a paradigm shift that some organization taking with faster strides than others and and those to me the concept of data sharing be that internally and externally is truly one that the industry needs to solve in order to overcome the the problem of you know financial crimes compliance you know insider trading just you know the the, the dark area of banking right yep which you know well so in, in this a couple interesting dynamics here i'm just going to pick this apart for one more pinch before we dive into use cases but you're bringing up some very interesting sort of subtopics there is the idea of sharing data internally it sounds to me as though Certainly, you're advocating for and hope that the industry shifts towards a place where we all see the data access, you know, governance for sure, you know, not, not being willy-nilly with data, but, but being able to make access more streamlined, something that uh, across the organization people can agree on. You certainly have your hopes there. You're also talking about 
sharing data between companies. You know, there are precedents for this in all sorts of industries. The life sciences world, for example, there's many diseases where any given company like Bayer or Merck or Sanofi only has so many people that have gone through a clinical trial with a certain set of skin diseases or a certain rare genetic disorder or what have you. And actually, if they were able to pool that data anonymously with other folks at other drug development companies, we might actually be able to get the breakthroughs we couldn't get through otherwise. It sounds as though what you're saying about the cross-industry data as a potential paradigm that we could get to would be similar, but for preventing financial crime. So, hey, here at Deutsche Bank or here at Citibank or whatever, we have a certain number of precedents of people doing money laundering in X way or Y way. But if we could connect those dots across multiple financial institutions, there might be a way to aggregately prevent funding of terrorism, aggregately prevent human trafficking or other kinds of issues. Is this sort of what compliance folks are hoping to achieve or was it something different than that? You hit the nail on the head there, right? So it's it's a little bit different to what you, what we have in the medical trial, right? Because on, on our areas, you follow the money, right? Our Our entry into finding if we have a bad guy on our hands is always follow the money. Now, if I'm sitting in institution A and I get a transaction, you know, coming in from Dan Fagella, right? I only see, okay, Dan Fagella is sending, you know, person B money, right? I don't know where Dan Fagella got his money from, and I don't know where person B is sending the money to. Now, if I could call up the other bank and say, hey, listen, I've got suspicions about Dan, you know, there's some information about him that, you know, we, we found during our research that m- makes makes us wonder, right? Do Can you tell us where, where the money is coming from that he has? And then the other, the other bank can network that together, right? And if you do this a couple of times, you then have a trace to either say, well, no, this is, this is legitimate, you know, Dan, Dan's money is, is legitimate, or you have a trace where a bank at, at the origin of the transaction may say, we're not sure, right? We're not sure there you know, was a cash deposit coming here, another cash deposit coming here that then got pooled, and then it ended up in Dan's account, and now he's transacting. That is the, the information, like putting together the trail of the money, right? The origin, yes. right? The two-legged person where the money came from and the two-legged person where the money goes to, right? And is any <laughs> of them an identifiable bad actor? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you should be looking into me. I've definitely got some spooky factors going on here, Kai. Yeah, so we're, I, we're, 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 we're hot on <laughs> your heels. Are, there, you're man. already on my heels. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I've got to uh, deal with that now. But Okay, cool. So that so I was kind of on the right page about where we're headed. And, and like you said, yeah, really absolutely. getting to the meat and potatoes of what is the origin here. Let's talk a little bit about use cases. There are many, and maybe we'll be able to unpack a handful. When you know the CDOs come to prominence, when we look from the outside here at Emerge as a market research firm, we certainly see compliance as a space that's attracting a lot of attention for AI relative to other departments, in part because it's regulatorily mandated. And there's a lot of existing automations there, but you're up close and personal with this. What are a few examples of where data is starting to add more value to compliance workflows and really help us do what we want to do in compliance? What, what, are, what are some of the big ones that execs should know about? So the interesting development is when you look at modern cryptocurrencies, right, and and fighting financial crime with modern cryptocurrencies, you have a lot less data quality issues because inherent into the blockchain is a retention of data, right? Now, finding the people that belong to the crypto transaction is much, much harder than, than in your typical fiat currencies, but actual tracing the transaction is 
relatively easy because you know the technology in itself holds it inherent right but when we're looking at data and and specifically ai use cases you will always hear kind of the the big ticket items in in compliance right compliance as a function is a very workforce heavy process right because in order to find the bad guys we need to cast a very wide net of you know stuff to look at right so you hear the the industry and we you know much to my frustration and and you know to my colleagues frustration we haven't really gotten a lot better in in it if you look at transaction monitoring right which is kind of the my area of, of my main area of expertise you are looking at a false positive rate, meaning we were looking at customers that actually are not really that interesting of 99%, right? Meaning I have to look at 99% uh, 99 alerts that are actually not that greatly interesting and inspiring in order to find one that's interesting. Not necessarily saying that that one that's interesting is then an, an actual money laundering case that was a little bit more, but someone where we say, okay, we're not quite clear and let's, let's investigate this further, right? So obviously that is a core promise of an AI solution, right? In, hey, we can do this better. And so far, and there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of promise in the industry, but so far nobody has really solved it. And the the underlying, at least in my opinion, right, this is where where the opinions in the industry diverge quite a bit. And in my opinion, the underlying problem of we haven't really solved that problem now in 25 years, even with the advent of very great processing power and very great AI knowledge and very great data scientists coming out of the education system, is that if you're looking at what is a suspicious transaction, right? And I'm using a silly example. I'm going to keep picking on you, Dan. Right? <laughs> if fine, you if you were if you were all of a sudden transact a million dollars, or you were to receive a million dollars, your bank would call you and would say, "Okay, Dan, what's going on? Where's this million coming from?" Because usually you don't. I, I assume, right? I don't want to, I don't want to assume too much, but I assume you don't regularly get million dollar payments into your bank account, right? Now you look at you know at a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos, or you know for them a million dollar transaction may be nothing, right? And so the and obviously there are ways to 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 separate the Bill Gates of this world from the Dan Fagellas of this world, but I'm trying to make an example that it isn't black and white, right? This and and even for you, right? This million dollar transaction, maybe it's inheritance, right? Or maybe you won the lottery or whatever, right? There's many many good reasons for Dan to get a million without him having committed a crime, right? Now. I need to look at both, right? We need to we need to say, then where's the money coming from, right? And, and in order to look at all them, and I'm using extreme examples, right? There's obviously a lot more nuanced transactional patterns and, and things that are underlying there, but it is never black and white, right? A person A with a transaction pattern that is identified, you know, this many transactions per month, this much money in and out, this much money in and out, these countries, these counterparties, and another person with the exact same behavior and, and not an extreme difference of, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos to Dan Fagella, one may be completely legitimate. He's just running this business. And the second one may be, you know, funneling maybe a drug mule or, you know, maybe funneling illegal money into the market. So we need to look at a lot of stuff in order to find the bad ones. And we don't have very clear indicators that say, 
this person is bad and this person is good. You know, if you compare this to other applications of AI, like credit risk, credit risk is a very good example of where AI has been very successful because a credit risk, right, if you are leveraged over 40%, over 50% of your of your networks, of your income, right, the trigger goes off, right? And you and you have a okay, we're now having risk, right? And then if you leverage over eighty percent, whatever, right, you 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 go into the red. Whereas in the transaction monitoring space, it's not as black and white, right? And and the even the good cases that we learn from, right? If you look at SAR filings, right, we file SARS. If we find a suspicion, right, if we spin our case further, we looked at Dan Fagella and we were like, we're not quite sure if, if Dan is is doing something bad or not. So since we're not law enforcement as a, as a financial institution, we report to, to the government and saying, hey, we're looking into this guy, Dan. We think there is something going on. Can you please have a look, right? The trigger for that is generally, generally, right, not coming out of specific transactional behavior, but it comes from, you know, maybe a subpoena coming in on internal escalation, or we, or we read something, right, when when we did a negative news search. The trigger to look into Dan may have come out of his transactional behavior, but the transactional behavior may be acceptable, but all of the other information we have about Dan, right, coming from other sources may then lead to, okay, let's let's do let's do a deeper investigation, right? So all of that takes power, computing power and decision-making power out of data points away from an AI, where an AI can clearly say, this is good or this is bad, right? Now, obviously, we're working on that, right? And the whole industry is working on that, learning from prior closures, learning from, you know, directionally, what is the more interesting stuff to look at and those type of things. But there isn't a silver bullet in the AI space where that you've seen in the press, right? Like diagnosing cancer cells, right? Because you can clearly identify the difference between a healthy cell and a cancer cell, right? And you can build an AI that, okay, if this looks like this, it's bad, right? We're not quite, it's not quite as easy in, in, in the compliance space. Got it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to put this in a nutshell and pass one more question your way. It sounds as though, you know, the idea that false positives are the big problem is certainly something I'm sure other people in compliance are going to be nodding their head about. Tremendous amount of time and expense there. Same thing in cybersecurity, honestly, which I know might not be exactly your world, but those folks are also buried in a, in a universe. Same where idea, yeah. Astronomically, same most idea. of the things that they look at all damn right. day long are just not all that relevant. And to your point, there's two big things that I took away here that I was taking notes on. One is that different people are different. Now, granted, if, if Gates goes through another dozen divorces, we're going to be pretty much on par. But for right now, you know, we're in a different tax bracket, that's for sure. But, you know, we'll see what the future brings for him. But he might get the paperwork done next time, ahead of time. But yeah, we're in a different universe. So different activities for me versus Bill are going to result in a red flag, right? He, he, his, his signals are different than mine in a way that maybe is more unique than other things like credit risk. Similarly, there is a lot of context here. Context could be a subpoena. Context could be moving location. Context could be something that happens with an uncle of mine who happens to get more money or something like that. There's a lot of outside factors than just my transactional behavior that are going to indicate my level of risk. And those things are keeping our false positives rather high because AI is not able to connect those thousand distant and very tough to connect dots. Is, is this is this a proper nutshelling, Kai? Yeah. That's, okay, great, great. That is minus one thing which I actually haven't Please. mentioned it, right? In many jurisdictions, we actually have specific rules where we need to look at at a customer, right? There uh, is examples of, you know, every transaction over over 100,000, right, you need to look at. Specific jurisdictions will force us 
to do that, right? Even though we know that this is probably, you know, 99% not going to be interesting, we have to, right? Because the regulator tells us you, you have to. That is obviously not something where an AI can help you in any way, shape, or form because it's, you know, it's a binary. Every, sing, every single transaction over a certain amount, you must look at, right? Be that good, be that bad, that's a, uh, that's a longer debate. But obviously, you can't, it's pointless to build an AI over that, right? Or, or take an AI to spin that into contextualization of, you know, what else does this $100,000 transaction person do, which, which is what we're doing, right? Which is what, what we call secondary scoring, right? Where we take, okay, we have to look at this. But let's contextualize. So rather than bringing down the false positive rates, we're trying to bring down the time it takes to close a false positive, which is an angle that is very promising in the AI space. And there's a lot of good companies out there that that are providing that. So you keep your numbers of false positive at, at 99%, but rather than and not that you want to, but because and sometimes you're forced to, and sometimes you know you just haven't found the right solution for it yet. But rather than spending 30 minutes on each of those 99 bad, not interesting ones, you may have to only spend 10 minutes or five minutes because an AI has already collated the information that you would be collating anyway. Got it. Okay. An important note for the folks that are tuned in. One other thing, Kai, I want to pass your way is, is around data related to communications and sort of surveillance on some level. A lot of what we're looking at, you've you've really opened up the Pandora's box that for our listeners, I think is important, that really we're not just looking at the information that comes along with a transaction. We're looking at a lot of context on people, their behaviors, legal activities, all kinds of other things. And some of it, which you kind of alluded to earlier, might even have to do with sort of, you know, the communications. I know that there are elements of compliance where we're looking at phone transcripts for people who are selling stocks or something like that. There's, there's other elements of, of compliance that I imagine look at other kinds of communications data. What is the future for that kind of data and how banks need to think about it? Because it, it does feel like such an important ingredient in this big open box of, of sort of context that you've been talking about. Yeah, so that is a big area. It's not necessarily my area of expertise where I'm heavily involved, but this is where the AI concept of natural language processing, and and that is something where you actually have a finite set, large but finite set of complexity, right? You you're processing, you know, a, a phone conversation, right? And you're trying to contextualize the phone conversation. Was it, you know, someone, you know, someone calling his wife and, and asking, hey, where where do you want to go for dinner, right? Or is it someone calling? A colleague and and giving him you know insider information on on a, on a market moving you know merger and acquisition which then leads to to insider trading right the contextualization of that conversation and you know this is a, a voice recognition and natural language processing question same within an email right is the context of an email hey you know you want to go to a concert two weeks from now or hey you may want to trade. IBM because they're merging with Microsoft two weeks from today, right? So go get ahead, get ahead of the market and trade on it, right? And and the concept of you know ontology and and the ontology of what is being talked about, right? What are the actors? What is the subject of conversation? What is the object of conversation? What is the desired outcome of conversation? I think that is a very fertile ground for you know AI solutions because again you have a finite problem set right and then bad is clearly identifiable versus versus good not you know i'm oversimplifying right? of course, the of course. AI guys are probably turning in there <laughs> <laughs> turning yes, their yes. heads right now and saying yes. he makes it sound so easy a tremendously complex topic but we're seeing a lot of promise in that area got it so okay so it sounds like the future what the future might hold there is 
being able to label based on, you know, again, there's known categories of unallowable behavior and unallowable kinds of intent. And if we can train on those categories, we can, again, do some flagging that might be able to reduce those false positives of all the call center transcripts or, or call transcripts or emails that we have to, to read through. Correct. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Cool. And then okay. in, in the dream pie in the sky future world, right, we would be able to connect all of this into our client investigations, right? What IP address did, did he transact from, right? What is in the street that the transaction is coming from? Are there other transactions coming from that street? Are those transactions suspicious? This customer transacts with party B, which may not be a customer of ours. Who else transacts? Right? Connecting all of that via IP addresses and, and via you know, similarity of passwords, right? Passwords, very interesting concept of finding you know, mule accounts, right? Somebody creates somebody creates a hundred mule accounts. They all have the same password, right? That could be a very interesting accelerator or decelerator for uh, for any type of investigation. But that's the pie in the sky where we ultimately be, are able to connect external internal data sources all freely. And then I think that's where truly because that no human can process it, right? You you do need you know complex AI solutions, complex processing solutions to give you the the digested intelligence out of that. Excellent. All right. Well, so this paints a pretty compelling future for those of us who are involved in compliance or financial services, or even some of you who are listening and who are not in this space, being able to to connect disparate sources across context. Definitely not where we are with enterprise AI, but Kai, definitely where we want to be. I'm secretly grateful that we're not there yet because you're already pretty hot on my tail and I, I could use a couple more years to bury some evidence here. So I know that's all we have for time, Kai. I want to be mindful, but I do appreciate you being able to share your insights on the present and future of AI and compliance. Thank you so much for being with us on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that is all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. A big thank you to Kai for being able to join us. Thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through. I hope that the Bill Gates comparison gave you a small chuckle. I know this show isn't necessarily personable. It's not necessarily a jam-packed full of jokes. When I talk to some of the people who listen to our show for a long time, they tend to like that it's hard-hitting. It's very much on the money. It's very much focused on the business impact. Other people listen to podcasts for more of the personable stuff. We don't necessarily talk to people about their dog's name and their favorite color and their favorite flavor of ice cream and things like that. But every now and again, we do have some fun. We do have some chuckles. And I, I had fun the whole way through with Kai's episode. I love learning above all else, but when jokes become part of it, I'm a happy camper. And I thought this was a fun episode. Again, this episode was brought to you by Smarsh. That's S-M-A-R-C-H. We had Mr. Carl from Smarsh kick off this series on AI and compliance. Kai is part of that broader series that we had the mandate to pull together. So I hope you've enjoyed, been enjoying this series. We do have more compliance episodes kicking in on future Thursdays, so stay tuned for those. And otherwise, keep it locked here on the AI and Business Podcast. I look forward to catching you next week.